Welcome listeners to the podcast from here to now. I'm your host, Emma, and this podcast aims to explore the ins and outs of our immigration system, allowing you to learn and hopefully understand the system and its stories. Today's topic is the American dream and race in America. With me today is Kim, Jasmine, and Cuban. Welcome, guys. Okay. Hi, everyone. My name is Jasmine. I'm in a rather echoey room, so it might be a little bit echoey, um, but a little bit about myself. Uh, My parents immigrated to America in the 90s, and I was born in California, and that definitely has influenced my perspective on how we discuss these topics today, Um, and it's also part of the reason why I'm so passionate about the the idea of the American dream and also about race and how it plays into immigration. Hi, um, I'm Izzy. My parents also immigrated to America in the 90s from Indonesia. Um, And I grew up in Georgia, um, going to predominantly white schools. um, And it was not until college, surrounded by a more diverse group of people, um, more people that look like me. And just in light of everything that's happening with the Black Lives Matter movement, um, I've been thinking a lot about what it means to be American. And so, That is why I wrote the article that we'll be talking about today. Hi, guys. My name is Cuban, and kind of like the flip side of Izzy, um, I immigrated here when I was one year old from Korea, South Korea, and um, I settled, my family settled down in California. Um, We were, I was surrounded by tons of other Asians, um, Asian immigrants, Asian Americans from all different generations. Um, I think my high school is 70% Asian, so when I moved to um, Maine for college, it was kind of a shock, culture shock because it was the first time I was ever at a predominantly white institution. So um, yeah, that's a little bit about my background. And as an immigrant myself, I feel like um, a lot of the issues that we're gonna be talking about today is um, very relevant and something I'm very interested in talking and exploring more with these people. Thanks, guys, for speaking. Um, Now, as part of this podcast, we'd like to take a moment to recognize those who have been slain at the hands of police brutality um, in this past couple of months and, you know, since the beginning of America. So let's just take a moment. Okay, so thank you for taking a moment. Um, I think today's topic is, you know, so, so relevant and has been relevant, you know, for a very, very long time. And we are so lucky because, as Izzy mentioned before, she wrote an amazing piece about the American dream and race in America and how that all ties together. And so we are so lucky today to have Izzy read her piece for us. Um, and then afterwards, we'll have a discussion and hopefully some Q&A sessions. Um, so Izzy, I'll leave the floor to you. Thanks, Emma. Um, this is titled This American Dream. When you hear the phrase, the American dream, what do you think of? I imagine someone starting from nothing and toiling their way to success, fueled only by willpower and maybe a McDonald's quarter pounder. The people in my life, the people in my head are often white, as these are the people that are commonly shown in all types of mainstream media. 
a diverse body of viewers is met with images of fair-skinned people. Seeing white people is not inherently bad, but it results in tunnel vision. It creates a status quo, a baseline of whiteness as the only type, the ideal identity. The rhetoric then becomes, however subconsciously, that anyone who strays from that identification is inherently less than. I want to clarify that I am no expert on race or civil rights. Of course, there are many people who have read more, studied more, and experienced more than me. The reason for my writing is simply that I'm an American, and I somehow feel like an outsider, seeing America's values play out in scary ways. My parents immigrated from Indonesia to America to obtain their MBAs at a state school in the South. With a meager amount of money and their whole extended families across the world, they entered their new stage of life with brave hearts and culture shock. A decade later, they had stable jobs, a two-year-old boy, and a girl on the way. I'm privileged and lucky to be raised by them. Despite the stereotypes of Asian American hopes and dreams, children becoming doctors, lawyers, etc., my parents even let me go to art school. Just kidding. They might have, if I asked, though. Take out the specifics I gave, and their story is one that would fit the American dream. It is a version of the rags to riches story that is acceptable of non-white people, celebrated even. This rendition of the dream glorifies America and gives us the chance to shine Walt Disney World's slogan, where dreams come true. Yet, there's something that has become painfully clear recently. America is a country that is built on differences, differences that titledly categorize people and pit us against one another based on stereotypes and appearance. 1787, the three-fifths compromise made it so that every slave was counted as three-fifths of a person, which determined how many seats a state would have in the House of Representatives. 1882, the Chinese Exclusion Act prohibited the immigration of Chinese laborers to America. 1985, the HIV AIDS epidemic peaked with 150,000 infections per year and 700,000 people have since died as a result. LGBTQ plus communities were targeted, and the fight against AIDS became a smear campaign against non-hetero and non-cis people. 2020, Asian Americans are considered virus carriers, Latinx Americans illegal, and Black Americans can get killed for jogging, sleeping, and simply existing. Despite all the progress America has undergone, there always seems to be hate fueling this country. We always think of new ways to oppress people, different approaches different approaches to racism, sexism, homophobia, and any categorization that isn't considered proper of American citizens. As soon as slavery became illegal, reconstruction made it so the black Americans still had no voice. Segregation made it so America could tighten its restraints on the idea of black inferiority. It is as though nothing can stop the oppressor from oppressing. Peeling back the layers of this hierarchical mindset, I see that it runs much deeper than the blatant violence we are familiar with through the media. I know that I too have helped drive this ideology forward. In middle school, two of my best friends and I were baking chocolate chip cookies together. Both of them were black and I ignorantly commented to one of them, you act more like a white person than a black one. She went silent, just staring at the cookies in the oven. I could tell I upset her and I quickly apologized. She told me it was okay and the kids at her previous school used to say that too. Looking back at that instance, I know I wouldn't have said I was racist if someone accused me of it at that time. I wouldn't have condoned slavery or segregation. 
Yet still, I bought into racial stereotypes in a way that brought one of my closest friends down and perpetuated the systemic racism that led to deaths like George Floyd's. People aren't always aware of the prejudices they have and the way white America has crafted a narrative of other being lesser. It might seem like I think the worst of the country I live in, but this isn't true. I love that there's an authentic Mexican restaurant in the same complex as a Korean one right near my house. I love that we have a right to protest, even if that right has more loopholes than it should. The American dream is an idea that should and can exist, but not in the way that it does right now. If I wasn't to be born in a world where every human truly believed in justice and equality, I'm lucky to at least be a part of one where I can contribute to a movement for lasting change. One where we might be able to break down and rebuild a system rooted in driving people apart based on conjured differences. What's your American dream? What do you want it to be? Thank you, Izzy, for that. Um, As I think most of us here feel, that is a beautifully written article and it's so, so needed right now. And everything you expressed in it was just very, very relevant. So thank you so much. Um, I wanna like, I wanna turn the floor over to Jasmine and Cuban right now um, to talk about feedback and what resonated with you. So first of all, let's go to Jasmine. Okay. I just want to say that that was wonderfully written. Thank you so much, Izzy. And a few things really stuck out to me. Um, Some of them kind of funny. So the part where you talk about, you know, my parents let me join art school, just kidding. When I was a kid, even now, uh, I still take my art very, very seriously. But when I reached a point where I was applying to colleges, art school definitely came up. And essentially, the compromise that we made was that I would be double majoring and pursuing one major that would essentially be my, you know, job or career that would support me um, and be and provide a stable income. Uh, and then the other one would be my art. And hopefully it would turn into something much more legitimate. And then I could prove to them that I could rely on that as a source of income other than doing something related to law, which is the original game plan. And my life is still up in the air, so we'll see. But I thought that part was really funny. Um, and then just in general, so I said I was born in California. My father, he's from Inner Mongolia, and my mom's from Beijing, China. Um, and they went to California, and then they moved to Tennessee. So I grew up in Tennessee for most of my life. And I have always felt just different than an outsider. And the introduction where you talk about um, – how the standard is just oftentimes white and how that's all that's shown in mainstream media really stuck out to me just in particular because it's something I've always struggled with, especially now that we're talking about race relations in America and just approaching everything from our politics to our legal system to our just way of being at a whole new like lens. Um, all of this just seems even more relevant, but it's something that I've always thought about all my life Uh, And I'm just really thankful that you brought up this topic, especially since for me and my family as well, the American dream is something that we always firmly believed in. And it wasn't until later on that I began to realize that there were so many other systemic problems in place that skewed the American dream or made it much less applicable and real in the long term. If you just think about the amount of privilege that, you know, certain immigrants have coming into the country versus other ones and also what it means to be a person of color or a non-black person of color, especially in being a non-black person and also being an ally to the black community in America. 
Um, those are all just sorts of different ideas that floated through my head when I read this piece the first time. And I think right now, I've always just been thinking about allyship, especially within the immigrant community, because I know uh, within my own immigrant community, based in Tennessee, in my hometown, there is a lot of anti-blackness um, that it's still very prevalent uh, and pervasive. And I think right now people are starting to open their minds up a bit more, especially just because, you know, the most recent cases of racial violence need something you can't ignore anymore. Um, but this has just been a, a long-term fight that, as Emma alluded in the very beginning, that has been going on since the start of America. And seeing these overlaps and identities and thinking about how being a second-generation immigrant, but also a POC in America, but also a woman of color, how all of these intertwine with one another um, and affect how I see the world and how the world responds to me. I've just been everything that I've been thinking about these last few months. So, but that's just a lot of information. And I think I'm going to hand it over to Cuban now because I just said what was off the top of my head. Yeah, um, first of all, I want to thank you so much, Izzy, for sharing this story. Um, I feel like it, you really portrayed your vulnerability, especially um, when you were talking about that incident when you were younger, um, obviously when you didn't know much better, and then um, conversing with a Black friend, um, some things were said, and I feel like these instances that are that seem so small and minuscule actually um, they mean a lot to the people who have been so um, misunderstood, oppressed, and um, on the sidelines for far too long. Um, and it kind of reminds me um, of an Instagram account my friend actually started called Dear PWI. Um, so PWI stands for Primarily White Institution. Um, so it's like an Instagram page where people can anonymously submit um, racist incidents, bias incidents that they have not been able to um, address or have not been addressed properly by administration. And I think um, a lot of those incidents were these small microaggressions, but actually had such a traumatic impact on the people they were targeted towards. With, regardless of the intentions behind it. And I think your vulnerability in sharing that story um, really resonated with me because I have had like those incidents as well when I didn't know better um, when I was younger. And I think um, the more we educate ourselves, but not just educate, but act upon the education that we take the initiative to do, um, I think would help in enacting real change and changing implicit attitudes and things we tell generations and generations um yeah about race relations so yeah so thank you so much for sharing that valuable um insight yeah i think this article and the topic of the american dream as it pertains to um, American immigrants and people who are coming in for the first time is something I also connected with because I am a first generation immig immigrant American. I am a first generation American. Like my parents, uh, my mom was actually became a US citizen in 2017. So I naturalized because I was under 18. Um, so I think this experience is really new for me too. And um, just navigating what it means to be successful in America and 
how your race impacts that level of success, I think is really um, important for me to recognize and talk about, um, especially since these days we see so many stories about people, higher ups, higher executives, looking down on their employees of color. And I think this culture of um, racial hierarchy needs to be exposed and corrected because that's the, if that's the sort of American dream and American success that immigrants are striving towards, but it's at the cost of their racial suppression and oppression, then I don't know what will happen next. So that's kind of what I wanted to talk about more too, um, the pull up for change movement. So if any of you all have something to say about this whole movement about exposing these companies that have been discriminatory or um, the leadership has been lacking in understanding of racial differences, if you want to jump in on anything. Yeah, I would definitely love to add on to what you just said, Cuban. So Cuban and I were talking on the phone probably last week about this whole pull up for a change movement. I hadn't heard about it and she let me know what was going on at Instagram. And ever since then, I have just been watching videos after videos specifically related to Bon Appetit. So she told me how pull up for a change called out Bon Appetit and how they weren't servicing or paying or compensating at all their employees of color. It was a whole scandal. The editor-in-chief was caught in brown face. He resigned. And I have been super dedicated to that channel. I watch it a lot just for fun. I like having noise playing in the background whenever I'm doing work. And usually Bon Appetit is one of the first channels that I go to just to have some background noise and also some wholesome content for food and fun. And a lot of the employees of colors are of color are the people that I watch just because in the back of my mind, you know, I want to support them. I want to support their content. And also I just love hearing from them. And um, I had no idea because Bon Appetit always seemed to advocate or advertise itself as a much more progressive industry, but also to take into consideration the fact that it's, you know, operates under Condé Nast. Uh, and all those other big magazine publishing companies that have been known to be unwelcoming and uh, problematic places for minorities in general. So this is surprising, but at the same time, not surprising. But it was definitely very frustrating to hear that a lot of brands and companies that I thought were quote unquote ethical were not. Uh, they advertise themselves as, you know, environmentally sustainable and whatnot, and they would use the word the buzzword ethical and then it turns out that they don't have a lot of POC or black employees in their leadership teams um, and so many other problems like they wouldn't compensate them and that was just kind of a shock to me because I recently you know tried tried to be much more uh, conscious about how and where I place my money in terms of where I buy my clothes from where I buy my food from my products etc and, you know, one of the brands that was called out was Reformation. And Reformation has just been this really trendy, you know, sustainable, like eco-friendly uh, clothing brand. And I love the clothes that they put out. And I'll go to them every, like, every so often for inspiration in terms of what I'm thrifting for. And then turns out that, you know, despite advertising themselves as ethical, um, they're, they're not. Because, they, I mean, to some extent, this is, this is a lot of semantics and also just playing with words, but they don't have a lot of POC um, and black leadership. 
in their executive branch. And that's the main, the main issue that I had. Um, and it's also just made me reconsider, you know, how people and brands and companies and everyone else, how they talk about ethics and sustainability and environmentalism, but then they're also not taking into consideration the intersections of race, identity, class, and so on and so forth. Yeah, um, building off on that, I actually hadn't heard of like this movement by like this name exactly before now, but um, just like in response to hearing about like, you know, brands that aren't as ethical as they seem, I have definitely been like seeing that too. And like about reformation, I was really shocked at that because I've always like, you know, just held them on a pedestal up until recently because I was just like getting more into shopping more sustainably, more ethically. And I always knew, you know, secondhand shopping is great, but you know, sometimes you just like want something new. You just want something nice. And I would be like, okay, so reformation is kind of like, my next best option and that's what I would you know try to buy from but it's crazy to see like how much behind the scenes we don't really know and how misleading just advertising can be um because you know companies are here to make money but it's like I've still trusted brands that would say those buzzwords that you were saying Jasmine and um I think that that's also just partly on me as a consumer too, because like, I want to shop ethically. I want to shop like, you know, as ethically as possible. Um, But also it's kind of just like, oh, a brand is saying that they like do all these great things and you just kind of want to trust them because it's easier than like going into deep research about everything. And it can be really hard to find like statistics about like actually who they hire, like, their means of production and everything um, for a reason because like a lot of companies aren't transparent you know but um, yeah I think it's just like scary to know how much there is behind the scenes that like most consumers don't know about and it's hard to get that information and like with other big companies um, you know the movie 13th the documentary talks a lot more in detail about this but just like the prison labor that companies use to like have really cheap products and everything like I've been a big fan of Target for a while because you know I just think they have such cute stuff like such great prices and like just knowing just coming to light recently the fact that the reason for a lot of that stuff being so cheap is because they use prison labor you know where like prisoners are being paid you know nothing or very very little a lot less than minimum wage, obviously, um, which is obviously really unethical, but that's just like also kind of what I was talking about in the article about just different ways to like perpetuate this, you know, systemic racism, even though that's not something that a lot of people can see and it's not something that a lot of people are aware of, something that I wasn't aware of for a while. And so, yeah, I think it can be really hard to actually buy from companies that and support companies that really are truly ethical because there's just so few of them and I think it can be just really crazy to think about like how deep this runs in a way that we can't often or don't often see.
Yeah, I want to jump off of that, Izzy. I think it's so valuable that you brought up prison labor too, because I recently heard Starbucks had been using prison labor as well, which was, came as a huge shock. Um, and you know, prison labor does run on a system of mass incarceration, which is the height of systemic racism and oppression within our political and justice system. So, I mean, this is, this is far more widespread than politically and socially. It is economically, it is, it runs this country, you know, systemic racism and systemic oppression. And that is something, again, as, you know, Jasmine pointed out, um, that has been going on since the beginning of America. So, um, I want to also just bring it back a little bit um, for each of you. So I want to take a minute to recognize something that Izzy wrote in her article, and that is this idea of tunnel vision and the American dream. And I think that's so valuable because the American dream is something is a topic that I think people think of as general, when in reality, the vision behind it seems very specific. So I want to go around to each of you and ask you, what does the American dream mean to you? Um, so let's start with Jasmine. Thanks, Emma. So I think to start off with, I will, I'll start off with what I originally thought about what the American dream was and now, and what I think about it now. So when I was younger, the American dream was an idea that was sort of drilled into my head. My dad came from a very, very poor, tiny village um, where he was living, was still reeling from the cultural revolution in China. Uh, he grew up in just like bare bones poverty. There was no electricity, no indoor plumbing. It was essentially the typical rural village life. Um, and the only reason why he was able to come to America was because his parents really focused on education. Um, and it was mostly through education that he was able to come over here, get a degree in an American university. He was offered a scholarship. All these different donors and sponsors were paying for him and sponsoring him to get a visa, et cetera. And then finally, you know, now we're here and he's able to support me and my younger brother and we were able to get a higher education and so on and so forth. So how my family always taught me what the American dream was, was just to work hard, do your part. Sometimes that includes doing things that you might not necessarily enjoy in order to achieve the greater goal of success. Uh, and success for my father and my mother, um, considering where they came from, which was a very impoverished background, success was mostly socioeconomic stability. Um, and hard work just meant doing your best and sticking with it. And then, you know, all the good things will happen. Um, and I would say for all of us as the entire family of first and second generation immigrants that have since definitely evolved since we came to America. Um, because I soon realized that the idea of the American dream and pulling yourself up by bootstrap, you know, was mostly an idea and an ideal that was a, a, only applied to, you know, white cis men who came from a wealthier socioeconomic background or had some sort of generational wealth. And when it came applied to us, you know, as immigrants, a lot of it was, you know, my family worked hard. They worked really, really hard to get what they had. And by family, I mean my parents. They paved the way for everything. Um, but that opportunity and privilege was not afforded to everyone else. And sometimes that's just literally out of circumstance. My dad was one boy in one village and there were so many others. And he acknowledges this too, because we talk about this a lot. Um, there are plenty of other people who also worked just as equally hard 
had the same hopes and dreams and aspirations of coming to America as a land of opportunity, just like practicing English and so on and so forth. And they weren't able to have it just because the people they knew, the, the situations they were in, the obstacles they had to overcome. Um, so each individual struggle is very different. And the fact that, you know, in America, we have this, this issue of systemic oppression that's played on by capitalism, it just puts a giant wall and makes it all the more difficult. Um, and it creates a bunch of disadvantages for different people groups. Um, and that's something that I've realized, you know, we can, we can talk about this ideal and this dream, but at the same time, it's important to recognize so many of the other hardships that people have to overcome and the fact that these hardships do not apply equally to everyone because as much as we strive for an equal society and as much as we want an equitable, equitable society, the truth is that we don't live in one um, and that most places you know are built on power and oppression and that includes america and in this case race and racism have been held against people of color um, black indigenous folks so on and so forth for centuries so i guess now i i still recognize that you know my family worked really really hard for what they had and that we are incredibly privileged to live in America, incredibly, incredibly privileged. Um, and the fact that we are American citizens alone, citizenship itself is also a privilege, um, just carries so much weight, especially when you go around the world. And I've, had, I've been lucky and been able to go back and visit my father's village and go, like, go back to other places as well and just meet um, different kinds of people. Um, and just knowing where you come from and what kind of impact that can play in your own society and other societies uh, just grounds my perspective a lot now and has taught me a lot. Um, and it's taught me to be grateful for what I have, but it's also taught me to understand that my story is not necessarily everyone's story. And that at the end of the day, it's just, you just need to listen to people um, and listen where they come from and listen to their truths. Because a lot of times, and I'm just saying this as a person of color and a minority growing up in a predominantly white space and has like still lives there. Um, you, you know, minorities, we don't get, there's that validation, that sense of like, I am the standard. This is where I belong. You know, we're not afforded that. Maybe one day we can like raise the future generation in a society where that can be the case. But for the most part, a lot of it is just, you know, I've always felt like I've had to justify why I'm here, why I belong here. And that's just an ongoing struggle that even if you're able to achieve socioeconomic like, stability or a higher education, that's something that I have continued to face throughout my life. And I anticipate I will do so probably till the day I die. Um, and that's a lesson that I've thought about and tried to communicate and discuss with people who are younger than me um, and who who I know will be here for the long run as well. But that's all I have to say. <laughs> that was a lot. Someone else can go now. Okay, um, I'll go. So I guess I, you know, haven't really thought about what exactly my American dream is very much. Um, similarly to Jasmine, you know, my parents, worked really hard to get where they are and their lifestyle has definitely changed a lot and in many ways for the better um, since they came to America. 
um, and like the life that they built since then. So, you know, in the article I mentioned like, oh, they like, let me go to art school. Like, you know, that was kind of a joke, but they definitely have said, you know, like we want you to be happy and be able to have more choice in what you do choose to study in college. And like, they actually also did tell me like, you can double major and do kind of like one, you know, more like fun major and one like serious one where you can have a stable job type major. Um, but just like, like the fact that they said like, oh, we want you to be happy and they like, let me have more choice. Um, I think that that kind of shows like what I guess their American dream sort of was like how that sort of came into play and like how their view of success might have changed because for them, I feel like they didn't really have as much choice because the whole thing was like, we want to be able to provide for a family and we want to like, you know, for all the struggle they went through, like leaving their family who like they don't see very often. We've only gone back to Indonesia twice, um, like in my whole life. So like just going through all that, you know, they want it to be worth it in a sense. And I think that a lot of that comes from like a more tangible view of success. Like, you know, just how much money you're making, how you're able to support your family and everything. And in that way, like they really were successful and yeah, like have been able to provide a really great, like stable life for me and my two other siblings. Um, and so like, I think that's why it means a lot more that like, they say, you know, you can choose something that like something to study in college that they never would have even thought about choosing, even if that was something they were interested in, because it was all about doing the best for them and doing the best for the family. It's like a very just selfless point of view. But yeah, I, I think um, just like this view of the American dream and just like, you know, this sort of rags to riches trope that we see in a lot of, I guess, media and just, it's just an idea that's been passed on. And I think a lot of people have, um, but it is sort of romanticized a lot, I think. And like, even with, you know, a Cinderella story, I think a lot of people like that, you know, there's been so many versions of that movie and it's just like, just that idea of, you know, becoming successful after, you know, being at the bottom. It's just like, it plays out in so many ways in the media, you know, like I've told you guys, La La Land is my favorite movie, but even that like really romanticizes like, oh, you can work really hard and be willing to do anything and you'll get there, you'll get that career, everything. Um, and it's not like inherently bad to think that hard work will like, if you work hard that you can, you know, succeed in whatever you want. That in itself is like, you know, a good idea because it just, if you have passion and you work hard, you know, that it gives you hope, I guess. But um, I guess I just think that 
that has a lot more like negative sides than we often think about. Um, like just for example, with most of us are Asian American, you know, um, this model minority myth and just like how that might seem like something like positive for Asians, I guess, in the sense of like, oh, we're like seen as smart and like successful in academic settings, blah, blah, blah. But like just that has that um, kind of flip side of being like other minorities are not like that. Other minorities are worse, won't have that success. And like, obviously also that's not just like a stereotype that a stereotype that can be true all across the board because like that's the whole point of stereotypes and so I think like that's just a really roundabout way of saying that for me I think the American dream is that you know from more as a country as a whole that um we can kind of see like equality across the board and all those ways that these implicit biases run like deeper than what meets the eye, that we can, you know, not have those anymore. And that I guess everyone just has more of an even playing field um, in every aspect. Can I jump in real quick? Um, so I'm just gonna go ahead and like define the model minority myth in case uh, people who are listening aren't quite familiar with it. So basically, y'all free feel to like, you know, add in or whatever. But the model minority myth came from World War II and it was during the Japanese internment camp. So the media basically caused a huge uproar and used it to drive a wedge between um, the black community and the Asian American community by essentially saying and pointing to the Japanese and saying they're able to rise out of the ashes after being held in incarceration camps. Um, and so then the question became, Asians can do that, but why can't black people do that? Um, and as a result, these arguments were used to just conflate anti-Asian racism with anti-black racism. Um, and also for those who are listening, I'm reading the NPR article from 2017 by Code Switch as reference. Uh, but that's just been an issue, an ongoing issue in American society and American politics where we see these constant uh, policies and terms that are used to pit minorities against one another, whether it be black, brown, and Asians, or, you know, so on and so forth um, between these different minority groups. And another example I would use is affirmative action as well, where you're essentially pitting race after race. And on one degree, it benefits, um, it benefits predominantly like the black community, but then it also negates a lot, not negates, but, um, it makes it a lot more difficult for Asian Americans. And we can go into a whole separate discussion, um, but also I'm gonna just say for the point being, I don't think affirmative action should be taken away. I think affirmative action is very important. I do think that there are better ways to implement it, but that's a separate conversation. Yeah, so <laughs> going off from that conversation, I related to a lot what Izzy said about the whole model minority myth, but also um, how, that kind of connects to um, what I view, personally view the American dream to be, and that's the privilege to um, study, to be, and to be accepted for whoever and however you are. Um, and I think 
my whole college experience kind of validates this. Um, I started off as a pre-med. I was going to major in neuroscience my first month of college. Um, I grew up in a very Asian-dominated community um, in Silicon Valley, so a lot of the a lot of my classmates were either going to be doctors, engineers, or business people. So those were like the three tracks that were very predominant and felt like the only options for Asian Americans to go into because I felt like sort of this peer pressure. If I veered off into something unknown, then I would be less successful and make less money um, and be less secure than my classmates or like I would be looked down upon for opting out. So um, my first month at college, um, I took on neuroscience, didn't really like it. Um, and luckily, I went to a liberal arts college, which is a privilege in itself, um, where you don't have to decide on a major, but you can sort of explore. It's very humanities-based, and um, during the first year, you're supposed to take a first-year seminar um, where you're in a class full of 15 people max, and it's sort of a seminar set setting with um, a professor, and my first year seminar was prostitution in Western culture. So I totally branched out of my comfort zone to take that class. I'm so grateful because it was the first humanities class I have ever taken seriously because I was so geared to like, you know, becoming a doctor, becoming a neuroscientist, becoming a brain surgeon, all that fancy schmancy um, prestigious occupations. So it never occurred to my mind that there would be something else that I wanted to do or something I would be good at um, other than, you know, memorizing anatomy or whatnot. Um, but I think from that first month of college, I it, it felt like I woke up or something. And then I realized that what my parents had sacrificed so much for was truly for my own happiness and I think to find success however I want to pursue it and I'm so grateful for that because um, I never had any like role models other than those three types of Asian Americans in my community that were successful so I had no other vision of um, career paths or success but then uh, once I went to college um, I discover like my love of writing, my love of reading, um, switched to English major and psychology minor, totally different from pre-med, dropped that career path altogether because honestly, it was just not my thing. And I'd rather pursue something more creative and artistic. Um, and I think I'm so grateful for that. And that is truly what sets America apart from like where I immigrated from, which is South Korea, because when there's no such thing as a liberal arts college or being undecided in your major. Like, I remember my mom telling me that she decided her future like career path to go into business, um, like the second year of high school when she was a sophomore. So that kind, the way that some um, education systems are set up so that you have to know what you're doing right away is something that I think American education is slightly different upon um, in terms of in terms of the ideal American education because obviously there aren't situations where this privilege can be realized and uh, 
I'm grateful for that because I know a lot of my friends are still in that boat of um, needing to go to a really prestigious career path and like sacrificing their mental health and happiness to pursue what they feel is the American dream, which is um, success. But I think throughout my college journey, my life purpose exploration, um, I really think the American dream is about finding happiness. I want to thank you all so much, um, especially Izzy, for your reading and your writing. Um, Your article, again, was what spearheaded us to talk about this and to have these discussions and to be able to, you know, record this specific podcast. Um, It has just been a true pleasure to hear you all speak. And I am so grateful, genuinely. Um, So I guess in the end, I will leave it open for any final comments you want our listeners to hear. And then that'll be a wrap. So I'll start out with Izzy. Go ahead. Um, yeah, thank you for letting me read the article. I appreciate everyone's feedback and just doing this episode has been, um, it's been a good time and I appreciate it. But um, yeah, I guess I just would encourage any listeners or readers to kind of, you know, question this not just the idea of the American dream, but just kind of a lot of ideals that um, I think we've been raised to have and just any, I think there's, you know, a lot of implicit, uh, I mean, I guess racism, but you know, just other thoughts that we have, um, American ideals that, I think could be really worth to question a lot more. And, you know, like I said, a lot of them really fly under the radar and are not really things that we notice or think about. And so, yeah, I think, you know, problems we're seeing today, they run, they run deeper than the worst that we see, you know, they run deeper than police officers, you know, putting their neck on someone for 10 minutes, like that's obviously horrible, but there's so much that I think a lot of people do to add to the problem that we don't realize, you know, me included. And so, yeah, I just encourage everyone to, you know, take some time to analyze those biases that we all might have and to just question these American ideals and the American dream. Um, as we go forward. So yeah, thank you again. Well, I would just like to thank you all again for being on the podcast from here to now. Um, You can find Izzy's article at Alien Attorney Blog um, with a bunch of other articles written by Cuban and Jasmine as well. Thank you all for joining us and have a wonderful rest of your days. Bye-bye.